Hello, Baruch. How are you today? Good to see you. Shalom, Christian. I'm doing well, thank God. And you and your family? We're very well. We're doing well. Even though we're uh, going through some lockdowns here in uh, Sydney, Australia, which are getting a little bit out of hand, but, um, you know, we're still thankful to the Lord for his provision and his mercy and his protection. So uh, we can't complain. Amen. How's, how are things in Israel? Yeah, very well. Uh, we're doing good as a, a nation with the corona and all the uh, limitations pretty much have been lifted. So we're, we're, we're excited about that. And hopefully within a month or so, tourists will be left, left back into the country. So that's important for the economy and for a lot of people. Wonderful, wonderful, great. Well, thank you for joining us today, Baruch, for today's very, very important discussion. Um, God is not done with Israel uh, and the uh, dangers of replacement theology. Um, we're going to, of course, as usual, look at a number of scriptures today. However, just uh, by way of introduction, uh, the first thing I like to say is that uh, uh, God is not done with Israel uh, by no means. And the church is certainly not the new Israel or the church has not replaced Israel. I thought it's important just to uh, make that statement up front uh, as per the title of this theme. But um, it's so important uh, that we go through these scriptures that you'll be expanding on, Baruch. But like I said, by way of introduction, I think Satan has always wanted to destroy the Jewish people. It's always been his agenda. All through history, we've seen it, and the Jewish people have persevered, thanks to God. And even all through the Old Testament, we see it, you know, to the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, to the Holocaust in the Second World War, and even to recently the alarming increase in anti-Semitism. Uh, the notion that God is done with Israel and that the church has replaced them is sadly also being preached in some churches. It, it's actually gaining some momentum. Um, some specifically teach that God is done with Israel because one of the main points they raise is that uh, the Jewish people are the ones who actually crucified um, Messiah Yeshua. And uh, as you and I both know, I mean, I'd like to start off with Matthew 20, uh, verses 18 to 19. It's not in our PowerPoint presentation yet, but I just sort of start with that, Brooke, where he tells us, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn, condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock, to scourge, and to crucify. And on the third day, he will rise again. So I think that's a very, very important scripture, but just for your opening comments, Baruch, before we kick it off. Well, let's begin with a, a very important statement, and that is no one is saying, at least you're not and I'm not, no one is saying that there's any other way for a person, whether he be Jew or Gentile, to be saved other than the gospel. Correct. So this video is not saying that, that Jewish people are going to be in the kingdom of God through some other means, through some previous covenant. The only way an individual, and this is true for every human being, the only way that one will be in the kingdom of God, experience that forgiveness of sins, what's commonly referred to as redemption or salvation, is by faith 
in what Yeshua did, Jesus Christ did on the cross. So that's the first thing we want to say. We don't believe that there is a, a previous covenant that, that excludes the necessity of receiving the gospel. Secondly, what we're saying is that when we look at scriptures, God is simply going to, in the last days, move mightily to bring a remnant of Israel to, to faith in this gospel in the last days. And, and the third thing is the land of Israel is still important to God. There is still a, a covenant implication for the Jewish people and the land. And that is seen prophetically. God has promised that he's going to bring the people back to the land. We are seeing that in our days. It began uh, shortly after the, the Second World War in a large way. The people are back. The nation of Israel, Messiah himself said, look at the fig tree. Hosea tells us the fig tree is Israel for Israel to be thriving and prosperous. This is a sign. We see that today. So what we're saying is that God still has a purpose in the land and that he still is going to work mightily to bring a large remnant in the last days to faith in the gospel. Amen. Amen. And, and also, we're going to, of course, look at the, the dangers of replacement theology, uh, which, like we touched on a little bit earlier, is, is gaining momentum. Uh, and, and it is quite demonic, this type of teaching. So we're going to look at a little short clip again to outlining the origins of replacement theology, which really took off with the self-proclaimed Catholic Church. But uh, it only goes for a few minutes, but I think it's important that we see the agenda behind it and how certain things have replaced true biblical things. So we're just going to share that with everyone now, and we'll be right back after this clip.
So there we go, interesting uh, clips there showing us the origins of replacement theology and how dangerous they truly are. So before we start looking at scriptures, Baruch, I, I thought this was an interesting slide to show up that um, this comes from uh, Lifeway Research, uh, Biblical Solutions for Life, that among Americans, it states here, the comment is Jews are God's chosen people. 44% of Americans disagree that Jews are God's chosen people. 46% agree and 10% are not sure. So we're looking at realistically 54% that do not agree um, with especially the Bible and scriptures that we're going to look at that the Jewish people are God's chosen people. Just over for you, for your opening comments, Brooke. Well, I, I think an important thing to ask is what does that mean, the chosen people? Does it mean the favored people? And it does not. What it simply means is that God has chosen Israel with a significant purpose, God's purpose, to use the Jewish people for God's plan of ultimately establishing that kingdom. So it's important that we see it this way. And when you understand it biblically in this manner, it, it demands that God's not finished with Israel that he is going to use them just as we'll see in a later uh, piece of scripture that you're going to show, that there's a necessity for the Jewish people to change their spiritual perspective if indeed the kingdom's going to come. So this is what this concept of the chosen people has to do with. Okay, great. We're going to look at a few scriptures, first of all, because we want to set a foundation about confirming how the Jewish people, we're looking at specifically the Old Testament, were listed and clearly classified as God's people. Um, Genesis, we'll start with Genesis, of course, 12 verses 1 to 3. Now the Lord had said to Abraham, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Well, a couple things right here. We see the chosen people aspect that God has chosen Israel to be a blessing to the nations. Mm. Now, that shouldn't be controversial. That's a good thing. The world should want to be blessed. And God is sovereign. He can choose the entity, the way, the program that, that he sees fit. And in keeping covenant with Israel, it shows God's faithfulness. It shows that God is a God of truth, that his word means something. And something that I, I want to underscore right now for a, a passage later on is where it says, I will make you a great nation. Mm -hmm. Now, many of the people who are, are watching, they understand a little bit of Hebrew and a very common word, goy, which is Gentile, but this word goy simply means a, a people or a nation, and we usually think of it not in regard to the Jewish people, but in this covenant that God makes with Abraham, a very significant covenant, we see that God says, I'm going to make the nation of Israel. He's going to create it, and this nation is going to become a goy gadol, and that has some very serious implication for understanding some of the teachings of Messiah that many would like to use 
to to set Israel aside. So we'll come back to that. I'm sure this concept later on. Okay, wonderful. Thank you. Next scripture that we'll be looking at is in Genesis 35, verse 12. The land which I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I give to you and to your descendants. After you, I give this land. Well, the Abrahamic covenant that we just saw in Genesis 12 also relates to the same aspect of the connection between Abraham's covenant and the land of Israel. They are, are not mutually exclusive. They come together in one. And what's significant is, is this. If we look at the New Testament, and for example, Galatians 3.16 now, everyone knows John 3.16, but I would encourage people to memorize Galatians 3.16, where Paul is speaking, and he's speaking just about the Abrahamic covenant, mm -hmm. and he speaks about how Yeshua, Jesus Christ, is the seed of Abraham. He's the key of it. So this Abrahamic covenant, Paul teaches, is uniquely related to, to Messiah, his work, what he's going to bring about. And here we see that this Abrahamic covenant, he's going to give it to Abraham and to Isaac. I give to you, who's the you here? Yaakov, Jacob. Yes. And what we find is, ultimately, it's the descendants, the offspring of Jacob that the land is, is being given to. So the giving of the land, this Abrahamic covenant, which focuses on Messiah, he's the foundation of it. So a, a good biblical scholar sees a connection between what Messiah is going to bring about and the significance of the land. And really, many replacement theologians, they see no significance of the land. And when the people are coming back, the fact that there's a nation, they all say that this is you know the work of man. God's not in it. There's no relevance to this. And, and the sad thing is, is that over and over prophetically, and I'm talking about the vast majority of the prophets, the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, but also many of the minor product, pro prophets speak about the fact that the people are coming back to the land. God's promised it. It's happening. It is a major sign that we need to focus in on and, and realize God is at work in these days. Absolutely. We're certainly seeing that. I mean, the amount of people going back to Israel, that is, uh, you know, prophecy unfolding before our very eyes. It's, it's an incredible thing that's happening. In Exodus uh, chapter 6, verses 7 to 8, the Lord tells us, I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. Incredible promise. Mm. God is indeed a God of a promise. And once again, we see how important the land is. And it uses a word for heritage. And that word for heritage has to do with receiving a, a possession. It's taking possession of the land. And that is vital for the kingdom promise to be established. So once more, we see redemption when he says, I'm going to bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Well, this is the Exodus, and this is coming forth out of slavery into a, a call to serve God. And that's why Messiah, 
he went to the cross, he died upon that cross, shed his blood on that same date, on the 14th day of Nisan, all the gospels, the four gospel accounts speak of what's called the preparation day. The preparation day is another term for Passover. So it's so significant that the, the most important sacrifice ever, the cross, took place on Passover. It's about freedom. We see this in the paradigm of the Exodus, and we see how the land, that promise, parallels a kingdom promise. So when you throw out the land, when you ignore scripture like that and don't see the heritage that God has promised, you set that aside. You break down the message of the scriptures, what God is doing, showing us as a pattern. These things are vital for us to have proper doctrine. Amen. Thank you. Well said. We're going to the next scripture in Deuteronomy. Now, bear with us. We're not a long scripture. But it's a very important one. Deuteronomy 7, verses 6 to 8. For you are the holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you <clears throat> excuse me, to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples of the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people. For you were the least of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. We see again the concept of redemption, but also this all is a testimony of God's love. Mm -hmm. So if God can say, I'm going to stop loving, I'm going to stop my promises, I'm not going to do what I've said, then we find that that raises alarms for the new covenant and the promises we find in the new covenant as well. That's right. So God's faithfulness to Israel is a testimony as well to the church that his word can be trusted, that his promises he takes seriously, and that we can have assurance and confidence in the word of God. All of this speaks about God's faithfulness. One thing I would, would say is that, that God is a God that keeps covenant for his name's sake. And this is true with the new covenant promise, but the paradigm, the pattern of that, and we see it today in how God has preserved the Jewish people. So many of the other nations around that the Bible speaks of in those days, the, the people who were in the land of Canaan, we, we don't have any of those individuals that represent that heritage. They have been destroyed. They are no more many of the Canaanites. But, but Israel, despite attempt over and over to annihilate, exterminate, the Jewish people survive. And now we see a thriving, a, a prosperous people. And I mean that in numbers in the same way that the Egyptians saw the people being prosperous, not wealthy. I'm not talking about that sense of prosperity, but a strong, a growing, a more numerous people. This is what's happening here in the land, that the people are expanding. The numbers are growing and such. And this is a testimony. But so many people ignore that. And that is truly a shame because they're not seeing what God's up to. And he's up to things according to what his word has promised. Absolutely. Thank you.
we're going to look at Jeremiah now, another very important scripture. Um, and then we're going to do a bit of a switch. But uh, Jeremiah 31, uh, verses 31 to 33. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds. I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Wonderful scripture. Over to you, Baruch. It, it is a terrific, marvelous scripture. God began that with a small remnant of Jewish people. And then we see as God has promised this, this covenant of forgiveness, of blessing, of being his people is, is always, when we go back to Genesis 12, that scripture we saw, it was for the nations to, to also be blessed and be part of that. The chosen people is for Israel to share where the apostles did just that initially. Sharing that took the gospel to different places throughout the world so the nations could also be part of that. So when we talk about Israel being a chosen people, God's not saying that they are my exclusive people, but, but simply his servants to bring about the promises of God, that invitation, revealing that. Now, another thing we see here is that God says in the middle of that, in the end of verse 32, I believe, where he says, uh, though I was a husband to them. Yes. Now, many replacement theologians point out in Jeremiah it says that, that God has divorced Israel. That's true. We signed that text. And they'll go and they'll stop. They won't read the entire passage. And they'll say, well, we know according to Torah law that, that if a man divorces, he cannot go back and marry that same woman if, if that woman becomes married to another. Sure. What they'll say is that Israel went into idolatry, practiced gods, therefore were married to idols. God can't take Israel back. But what's so significant is, if you look in Jeremiah, in that passage where God says that, in the next verse he says, but if you repent, if you turn, if you humble yourself, he's ready to receive them. Correct. And Correct. A, a, an important thing is, God uses these things as a husband, and we're the, the Israel's, the, the wife, the church is the bride, Messiah is the, the groom. These are symbols to give understanding. We cannot take them and apply all the laws of, of marriage and betrothal and all of this to this relationship. It's simply a tool to help us understand something. So Messiah says, God the Father says about this relationship with his people and how it's a testimony to the nations. Amen. Thank you. We'll uh, move on to the next scripture in uh, Zechariah, chapter 2, verses 6 to 8. Up, up, flee from the land of the north, says the Lord, for I have spread you abroad like the four winds of heaven, says the Lord. Up, Zion, escape, you who dwell in the, with the daughter of Babylon. For thus says the Lord of hosts, he sent me after glory to the nations which plunder you, for he, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. Very, very well-known scripture, but um, if you can expand a little bit on that for us, Baruch, because there's so much just in this scripture alone. Well, Babylon, of course, 
persecuted. And one of the things that a lot of people don't realize is that Babylon came, God used Babylon, but, but Babylon was not doing what they did out of obedience to God. In fact, once again, if you look at Jeremiah, God says that he's angry with Babylon. He's going to punish Babylon. Babylon's going to cease to be a nation because of what they did. So Babylon did not do that out of obedience. They did it out of their wickedness, but God used it for his purpose. He did not cause it, but he was able to use it for what he wanted to do and bring discipline. We know in the book of Revelation, Babylon is spoken of again. Oftentimes in the book of Revelation, we take, John does, takes well-known Old Testament themes and words and practices and brings them in and gives them a new context. And there in Revelation, we see once again that there's going to be a Babylon. This is the symbolic term for the, the empire of the Antichrist, according to John's revelation. And the message here is just what we see in Zechariah. Even though that there's an enemy that wants to destroy Israel, God's going to be faithful. He's going to save them, deliver them, rescue them for his namesake. And he's affirming that Israel still, and this, this scripture has an uh, in-time uh, relationship mm. to it as well, that God still sees the Jewish people as the apple of his eye. Amen. His, his promises are not uh, related to time. No, are they, as we saw in the previous verse from Jeremiah 31, is this new covenant dependent upon man to keep, but God keeps it. And God is going to, in the same way that he reached out to the nations and brought a, will bring a fullness of the nations, the fullness of the Gentiles into his kingdom, then we can expect, as Paul teaches, and I think we're going to look at some of these verses mm -hmm. later on, that Paul teaches that God will, after the fullness of the Gentiles, turn his attention back to Israel. Correct. And this is oftentimes neglected. So the apple of his eye a key concept, a message of God's unique relationship with the Jewish people because of a covenant. Amen. And it's sad, like you said, that a lot of people forget either they don't know or they do know, but they just forget the importance of uh, that scripture. Leviticus 26, verse 44, yet for, all, yet for all that, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not cast them away, nor shall I abhor them, to utterly destroy them and break my covenant with them, for I am the Lord their God. Once again, I think so clear, the Lord just reinstating uh, and uh, affirming that he is their Lord. Hasn't changed. This, this scripture is, is foundational for rightly understanding Daniel chapter 9, the first part. There's a very well-known uh, Bible teacher from, from Minnesota, and he uses Daniel, the first part where God says that the Jewish people were not obedient, were not keeping covenant, so he cast them out of the land. That's true, he did. But as this scripture says, it's not going to be something that, that, that lasts forever. Correct. That's what this, this Bible teacher forgets. In fact, it's so amazing because if you just keep reading immediately after he says, they've broken my covenant, I, they have, uh, I'll forsake them in the land, they'll be cast out. 
But what happens? Daniel's saying, but the time for that punishment to come to an end is at hand. Daniel begins to pray because he knows God's going to bring the people back to the land. And this is what this is saying, where he says, I will not abhor them or utterly destroy them and break my covenant with them. So it's so sad. And you have to ask, why, why wouldn't a person, and he's trained, why wouldn't he read all that passage and see Correct. the context is bringing the people back to the land after discipline, fulfilling what this scripture, a wonderful scripture that you selected from Leviticus 26, what it says. But you have to ask, is there some alternative uh, means or, or desire that he has yeah, to Virginia. say over and over that God's finished with Israel? They are a, a, a covenant-breaking people and therefore forsaken, that these promises are rendered null and void when you have scripture like that that says quite the contrary. Quite the contrary. Uh, I'm curious, who is this Bible teacher? Um, it's John Piper. John Piper is... is a replacement theologian. He says he's pre-millennial, but he combines the millennial kingdom and the new Jerusalem in, in one sense. Mm. And so that's how he, he maintains his statement of premillennialism. And maybe this is a good thing to, to say now. Most replacement theologians deny a millennial kingdom. Yes. Because right. if there's a millennial kingdom, all those scriptures don't fit together with their doctrines, their theology. So what they just say is that we need to, that's symbolic, we're going to spiritualize it, or they combine it with just the kingdom in general, and they blur what the scripture says about the millennial and what the scripture says about the new Jerusalem. They're not one in the same. No, correct. And look, uh, I, we don't make it a habit of calling out people but, or exposing them, but I think this is important and it makes sense. Uh, I've known a couple of uh, people that, you know, lead churches, smaller churches, and um, they, they're they all confused about Israel and the replacement theology, and that makes sense because they also follow a lot of the teachings from John Piper. So, you know, brothers and sisters, stay away from those teachings. It's uh, unbiblical, So, um, and definitely there's other agendas there. I digress, so we uh, move back to scriptures. Now, Psalm 89, verses 30 to 37, I know it's, it's a little bit long. I'm going to read it fairly quickly, but it's so important. Um, if his sons forsake my law and do not walk in my judgments, if they break my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgressions with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. Nevertheless, my loving kindness I will not utterly take from him, nor allow my faithfulness to fail. My covenant I will not break, title of our daddy read, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His seed shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever like the moon, even like the faithful witness in the sky. Just over to you, Baruch, for your comments. Well, David's mentioned here, many people say that relates to the son of David as well. I have no problem with that. Mm -hmm. And so they'll interpret it saying it's only those who believe in the son of David that this is, is appropriate for speaking to. But I don't know why it's so much an anathema to them to think that God will, in the last days, bring the people back to the land, their significance in the land, 
and that God's going to move to bring a remnant of the Jewish people. We know from Zechariah, one-third of those. We're not saying that, that if a person, many times I'm asked the question here in Israel, well, well, what happens to a Jewish person that does not accept Messiah? The answer is the same thing that happens to a Gentile that doesn't accept Messiah. Correct. God's not a respecter of persons. Mm -hmm. So it's the same, same rule of salvation that, that covenant through the gospel for Jew and Gentile. We'll see a scripture that says that clearly in a moment. But the message is that God is going to demonstrate his faithfulness to Israel in the last days. And one of the things we learned, for example, in Ezekiel, is that this faithfulness that God will display to Israel will be a testimony to the nations. Yes. And they're going to see God's faithfulness to Israel and be moved by that. So that is another reason that, that Israel was supposed to be a blessing. To, to the nations, and even in the last days when God moves to bring them back, that, that bringing them to faith in that same gospel message is going to speak to the nations as a testimony. This is important. This is something good. So let's not limit God's freedom to, to bring people to salvation in the last days, including the Jewish people, and we'll see later on why he's going to do that. Amen. Great. Thank you. Another scripture in Jeremiah that we want to touch on in 32 verses 36 to 38. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning this city in which you say, it shall be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence. Behold, I will gather them out of all countries where I have driven them in my anger, in my fury, and in great wrath. I will bring them back to this place and I will cause them to dwell safely. They shall be my people and I will be their God. Well, first of all, I would, would ask uh, our, our viewers, what's so, so unique about this passage? Because again, many replacement theologians will say, this has already been fulfilled. But notice what it says in the middle of this text where it writes, out of all countries. Yes. This is unique. First, it took place in Egypt, bringing the people out of the land of Egypt, Correct. then out of the land of Babylon. But now in our days, and people should be excited about this, yeah. not trying to explain it away, mm -hmm. but God is bringing people back to the land, Jewish people, from a variety of different places. In fact, there are, are countries where... There were Jewish people and God's emptying one by one. Nations are being taken off the list where there were Jewish people once 50 years ago, 100 years ago. Now there's none. Where did they go? They were brought back to the land. And this is happening. We see this in so many different places where, where people are coming back from. So this is prophecy being fulfilled in our days. And again, it's a testimony that we can trust in God, that God's faithful to his words, all of his words, and that his unique covenantal relationship with the descendants of Jacob is a message about how we can trust and be assured that that new covenant through his son, that he's going to be just as faithful to, that his fidelity to that is, is unquestionable. Amen. Wonderful scripture. Now I'd like to uh, look at 
uh, we're moving more into the New Testament in Romans 11, verses 1 and 2. I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Such a powerful and clear scripture, but your thoughts, Baruch? Well, one thing I'll say is that when we look at, at this passage in its context, we know something. What Paul is saying here is that, that even though the majority of Jewish people have not responded to the gospel and is, are hostile to it, mm -hmm. there is that remnant. We should always expect that remnant. Now, the good news is that remnant is going to be a significant percent, not a majority, but a significant percent in the last days. And that God, in the same way that Paul's saying, hey, I, I'm a believer, I'm Jewish, we should understand that there's going to be a, a bringing the, the remnant into a covenantal relationship with, with God through Messiah the same way that the church does but it's not a replacing of the church. Maybe a good thing for us to do at this time is to, to make a statement mm -hmm. that ultimately those who are going to be part of the kingdom of God is going to be both Jew and Gentile. Messiah says, so many other scriptures says, from every tribe, people, nation, language. This is known as the church, but it's also known as Israel, Israel is a kingdom word. Let me give you an example of that. In the book of Romans, this is Romans chapter 11, but in Romans chapter 9 and verse 6, Paul says something. He says, not all of Israel is, is of Israel. Mm -hmm. Now, he uses the same term Israel twice, but he's obviously using it in a different means. And when he says not all of Israel, when he says it the first time, he means not all the Jewish people are part of Israel. When he uses Israel the second time, he's speaking about a kingdom people. So Paul acknowledges not all the Jewish people are going to be kingdom people. Kingdom people are going to be those who embrace a kingdom covenant. And by the way, the term new covenant, that word new, is also a kingdom word. What's the basis for that? In the book of Revelation, in, in chapter, I believe, 21, John's looking at the new Jerusalem, and he says, behold, all things are new. When he describes the kingdom, he uses the word new. For example, he calls it the new Jerusalem. So over and over, we see how God is going to establish his kingdom people. But in the last days, we're coming to some scriptures that support this. He's going to turn his attention back to the Jewish people and bring a remnant to testify of his fidelity to his word. Wonderful encouragement for all people, Gentiles as well. Correct. God's word is reliable. Amen. Thank you. Galatians 6, verse 16. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Question on that. I've heard, uh, and I know some people have written to me about this, that in Galatians 6, when some people preach about the Israel of God, they're, they're making reference to the church. But 
correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't that specifically referring to the Jewish believers in Jesus Christ, in Yeshua? Well, to those who, the, to those, to those, well some people preach that, you know, the Israel of God, they're, they're preaching that that refers to the church, hence replacement theology. But it's my understanding that that refers to the Jewish believers, um, that those who are spiritually as well as physical descendants of Abraham, correct? Well, uh, there's a couple different ways to look at this. Mm -hmm. I, I don't have a problem if we understand the Israel of God is the kingdom people mm -hmm. and that kingdom promise is for Jew and Gentile light. Now, ultimately, everyone who's going to be part of the kingdom of God is part of the church. The church we hear, and here's the, the real issue. Many people, when they hear the term church, they think non-Jewish. But when we go back, and, and Christian, I know you know, know this well, the term for, for church in the New Testament is ecclesia. When we look at the Greek translation of the Old Testament, when God speaks about a, a congregation coming out of Egypt, the children of Israel, he uses that same term, ecclesia. So it's wrong for us to think of the church as a non-Jewish institution. So when I look at that, God is simply saying here through, through Paul is that the Israel of God, it's talking about the people of the kingdom, which will yeah. be comprised of both Jew and Gentile. So I don't see where we have to, to go personally, where we have to eliminate one person, one group, or elevate someone else. Mm -hmm. It's simply saying that God has a rule. That rule is the gospel. It is a, a message of peace that comes through mercy, and it's upon all. That promise is for all the kingdom people. So to me, this is a great verse when it says Israel of God. It's talking about the people of God. What people? The redeemed people of God, both Jew and Gentile. That's how I, I look at this scripture. Okay, great. Thank you. Uh, let's look at the next scripture. First Corinthians 10.32. Now, <clears throat> I think... Once again, correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't this scripture clearly make a distinction between Israel and the church, where it says, give no offense either to the Jew or to the Greeks or to the church of God? Here again, we, we see the Jewish people here are being talked about as non-believers at this time, and the right. Greeks as well non-believers at this time. We don't want to do something that is vehemently opposed to anyone, not Jew or Gentile. Many times the term Greek is used to, to speak of a Gentile. We're oh, coming right. to a, a, a verse in Romans chapter 1 that also speaks to this. And then he says, also, we need to live in a way that's not offending the people of God in the sense, the new covenant people of God, hmm. the, the kingdom people of God. We could see church of God, the Israel of God, those who are going to be in the kingdom of God. So we need to have a conduct that does not give an offense. And here, an offense is a stumbling block. Right. We're not trying to live in a way that, that, that puts a stumbling block before a Jewish person. We don't want to do that before a Gentile person. And we want to live in a way that does not bring any type of, of discredit any type of negativity upon the, the church of God, the believers, the kingdom people. We're supposed to live a sanctified life. And that's really what Paul in this passage is speaking about, is how that we need to live a life 
that has a testimony whereby a Jewish non-believer sees it, and they're moved by that. That testimony touches them. They, they see godliness, righteousness. They see God at work in our life. Not only does a Jewish person see that, but so does a, a Gentile person right. sees that. And we do it in a way that does not in any way uh, contradict what the people of God are supposed to, to be about. So it's an admonition to live a life that reaches out to all people and is a, a testimony also to what true believers are supposed to be about. So that's how I like to, to, to look at this scripture. Wonderful. Great. Thank you. Romans 11, <clears throat> verse 26. And so shall Israel, so and so all Israel shall be saved that it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Your comments, Brooke. Well, first of all, the word Zion, Sion in Hebrew, what an important word. Usually, we find that the term Zion speaks about Jerusalem in a redemptive state, that it's a kingdom word. Now, this scripture, clearly, when we see it, Paul is using, this is in Romans 11, mm -hmm. where Paul is talking about how there's coming a time when the fullness of the Gentiles that number of Gentiles into the kingdom will come to an end. Now, that doesn't mean that a Gentile can't be saved after that, just like it doesn't mean that a Jewish person can't be saved today. But predominantly, we see that this is the time of, of Gentiles coming to salvation sure. since the, the early church until, until the last days. Then we can expect why Paul tells us this, that God's going to turn his attention back to Israel. When I say Israel, I mean the Jewish people. And then when he says, then so all Israel will be saved, once again, he's using Israel in not saying every Jewish person who's alive at the last days is going to be saved. That's not what he's saying. When he speaks about Israel, we've already established Israel. As, as the Torah says in the book of Galatians, chapter 8 and verse 3, Israel is a congregation of peoples, very important, peoples in the plural. I'm glad that, that the family of God ultimately in the kingdom of God is going to be made up of, of every nation, every people. We can think of this as every, every nationality, every ethnic group, every race, every different language. I'm thankful for that, that we see that there's going to be a representation of humanity from all different backgrounds. And when he says all Israel will be saved, what he's saying is this, the fullness of the Gentiles has got to be fulfilled. Then there's going to be a turning back to Israel, the Jewish people. And when Israel, when Messiah does that work, when the deliverer, that's the Messiah, does his work to turn away the ungodliness from Jacob, the Jewish people, then we see that there's going to be the kingdom established when it says all Israel, there's that Gentile component and that Jewish component. Right now, that Jewish component is very small from what God has in his mind of what is going to be. So he's going to bring a Gentile component, a Jewish component, and when that reaches its fullness, that's what he speaks about, all Israel being saved all the kingdom people. And we didn't mention this earlier, but, but a very important word, you read it, you mentioned it, I didn't comment on it, 
That's the foreknowledge. God's foreknowledge, and maybe someday we'll do a study of this because it's such an important doctrine in the scripture, how God moves according to his foreknowledge. It has such serious implications. God's not going to leave one who, who he knows is, is someone who's going to respond to the gospel. He's not going to leave that person uh, unintended. He is going to move to present that gospel. This is the goodness of God based upon the fact that he knows all things and he knows all things at all times. There was never a time that God didn't know, you know thousands of years into the future what's going to be. God has perfect knowledge. Correct. I mean, just to clarify, Baruch, before we move on. So, because uh, I know I've, I've had questions on this and specifically on this, like you touched a little bit early on. So, correct me if I'm wrong. So, contrary to replacement theology, dispensationalism teaches that after the rapture, like in 1 Thessalonians 4, God will actually restore Israel as his primary focus in his plan. Correct? Yes. After the rapture, God is going to turn primarily to Israel to bring them to faith because that is a necessity for the kingdom, the millennial kingdom, to be established. Correct. So, so yes, I agree, agree strongly with that. So also to follow up from that, so the, just to reiterate once again, so the church has not replaced Israel in God's plan. So while God may be focusing his attention primarily on the church in this dispensation of grace, God has not forgotten Israel and one day will restore Israel to his intended role as the nation that he has chosen, like we saw in Romans 11, correct? Excellently said. Okay. Correct. I agree strongly with that. Okay, thank you. Romans 1, we'll go back to 1 verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God of salvation for everyone who believes for the Jew first and also for the Greek. First of all, I love the fact that the gospel is power, the power of God to bring about salvation. Correct. It's for everyone. Yes, there's an order that gospel went first to the Jewish people for the Jew first, but also to the Greek. Here's a great example. Greek meaning the, the Gentile just in that day, everyone who wasn't Jewish in this time frame, that culture were under the Greek uh, uh, heritage from Alexander the Great. Of course, the Romans were ruling, but Greek was the predominant international language. Mm -hmm. That culture was still heavily upon many, many different places. So it's just a synonym for the word Gentile in this usage. So the gospel, and this just goes back to what we began with. It's the only message of salvation. Mm. We are not saying that there's another way, different way for Jewish people to be saved. That's right. not the case. Right. The gospel is the only message of salvation. And salvation is also a kingdom word. So the gospel is key to the kingdom. Amen. Thank you. Moving on to the next scripture in Zechariah. We're going back a little bit. And I will pour out, and I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one who grieves for a firstborn. Uh, once again, Brooke, this is also a prophetic scripture, correct? Very much so a prophetic scripture. 
when we look here, I, th I think a good place for maybe someone who likes to study this in greater detail is to begin with verse 8, because the context is this, that the nations, all the nations of the world, are coming up to Israel with the desire to go to Jerusalem. They want to attack and destroy the Jewish people. That's the context. Yes. And what does the scripture say? That Messiah, and this has to do with his second coming, Messiah is going to, to come. Prior to that, he's going to pour out upon, says here, the house of David. House of David is a colloquium for, for those individuals who believe in the promise that God made to David, that covenant that God made with David concerning the Messiah. Yes. The inhabitants of Jerusalem, here again, the, the rabbis are right. They're not just talking about those in Jerusalem, but those who have a connection with, with Jerusalem, and the spirit of grace and supplication. This word supplication means to desire God's grace. So he's going to pour out grace, and he's also going to pour out a desire for the grace of God. And in the midst, they are going to, Israel is going to look upon the one who has been pierced, mm -hmm. and they're going to recognize him for who he is. So this is a great scripture that shows how Messiah himself is going to manifest himself in delivering the Jewish people from the nations. Very, very important. He's coming to defend them from the aggressiveness of the nations wanting to exterminate them. And in doing this deliverance in a physical sense, he's going to bring them also to salvation in a spiritual sense. And they're going to see him and receive him. This mourning is a, a term of worship. Now, it's lamenting. We have psalms, for example, that are lamentation psalms, mm -hmm. mourning, confessing sin. All of that is within the context of, of worship. And so it affirms that, that Messiah is going to personally bring Jewish people to salvation, much the same way that Thomas, one of the original disciples, who says, I, I will not believe unless I see and so That's forth. Right. Same thing. That's right. That's why Messiah says, blessed is one who has not seen but yet believed. This is the opportunity for every person, Jew and Gentile alike, to demonstrate faith having not seen. But, but Thomas, even though he saw, he said, my Lord and my God, he believed in this last day, there's going to be many, many Jewish people. One third of the Jewish people at the beginning of the, the 70th week of Daniel, one third are going to survive, Messiah is going to deliver, and they're going to come to faith. Praise God for that. Amen. What an incredible expression of Messiah's love for his people as well, isn't it? Uh, Matthew 23, verses 37 to 39. Wonderful words. Uh, some people can make a whole teaching out of this scripture, but I thought it was important to mention it. When the Lord says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more. To you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. How about you, Baruch? What, what, a, what a great scripture that, that speaks to so many issues. First of all, let me say that uh, uh, Messiah wanted to do something, right? It says, how I wanted to gather up your children 
uh, together as a hen. That's right. what he wanted to do. But notice what it says. You were not willing. Not willing. This speaks about rebelliousness. Now, it, it really, the scripture puts a hole in Calvinism and predestination and, and everything that happens is, is what God wants to happen. This certainly is not the case. Messiah wanted to gather up Israel at that time of his first coming. Israel rebelled. Just that simple. Yes. And he says something. He says, see, your house is left to you desolate, meaning a time of persecution is coming. Messiah prophesied that in 70 AD, but it's also relevant for what's going to happen under the leadership of the Antichrist. Correct. And all of this is to create a need among the Jewish people for deliverance. Mm. And it's only going to be when they are surrounded by all the nations of the world that they're going to cry out saying, where's Messiah? Where's this one that we have, have hoped for that our prophets told us about? Who, where is he? And then that scripture we read just a moment ago from Zechariah, he's going to appear. And, and before his appearance, they have to say something. And calling out and desiring for Messiah, they're going to say that, that wonderful, there's a song also taken from this, Baruch haba b'shem Adonai, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. They're going to say this. By the way, this is taken from, from the Psalms, from a passage known as the Hallel, which is said on, on holidays. And it's times when there's a messianic expectation based upon the holiday and the message of many of these holidays, which are redemption and deliverance and the faithfulness of God. So they're going to say that. They're going to desire Messiah. And this just goes right back to, and this is the teachings of, of Yeshua himself. It goes right back to say that there's going to be a change. This is this phrase, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, refers to a change that is coming, spiritual change, to the Jewish people. And that spiritual change is that they're going to desire Messiah, and he's going to reveal himself to them, and they're going to receive him. That has to happen before the kingdom, that millennial kingdom is established. So I don't know why people want to reject this teaching of, of what Yeshua said in Matthew 23. Um, it's a powerful one, especially when you take it in context, because the first part of Matthew 23, in fact, all of it up until verse 37, Messiah is scolding the leadership. Very important, the leadership and not preparing the people. And then he promises, like the prophet says, that he himself is going to go out and search and deliver and bring a remnant of the people to faith. That's what the scripture speaks about. Praise God for it. Amen. Well, we're now going to uh, stop sharing the screen. And just, Baruch, just some, some other closing comments. I've had some questions as well, and some, uh, and they're, not, they're done very respectfully, by the way, some of the questions that have come through. But, you know, a lot of people are saying out there, and I'm talking about believers, uh, sadly, that they're saying that, well, you know, the Israel of today is not the same Israel as the Bible. Uh, you know, they make reference to, okay, once Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD, that was it for the Israeli people. So that all these promises do not, they're not relevant for the Jewish people of today. What would be your response to that? I, I see no biblical basis for that. I, I think it's very important that, that the nation of Israel has been reestablished at the time that it is, we see, as you pointed out, such growing hatred, hatred that 
that's not based upon, upon anything whatsoever. We see, for example, uh, I'll share this story, and I apologize for taking the time to do it, but no, good. I was at the, the bank not too long ago, and I was talking to the clerk, and I saw a picture on her desk, and I said, where is that? She said, oh, I have lots of family in Los Angeles. And the change that is happening in Los Angeles to the Jewish community, you mentioned anti-Semitism is, is rising. Uh, her, her family, one of their neighbors, has a young boy, and his leg was broken. He was attacked only because he was Jewish. This is what the other kids were, were saying. They were, 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 were putting him down because he's Jewish. And he was beaten up, and one of the kids were stomping on him and broke his leg. This is what's, what's happening because of this same, this mentality that, that the Jewish people have nothing to do with, with God anymore, that they've been rejected, they are Christ killers, and all these things that are so far removed from biblical truth, they are, are surfacing. So we need to be people that are, are very sensitive to prophets. And let me just close by saying this, and that is replacement theologians. They are not people who deal with prophecy. They run from prophecy. And they always want to say, that's been fulfilled. That has no more relevance. That's been done away with and such. And it's amazing that somehow or other they know all the prophecy, all the prophecy that's been done away with. How do they know this they choose and pick? Because it doesn't fit their doctrine. They're driven by a doctrine, a preconceived belief, rather than being led to truth through the scriptural revelation. Correct. That's spot on. It's just like the uh, uh, New Apostolic Reformation, all these word of false prophets that they'll never teach on those scriptures about, you know, in Jesus said there'll be, in the last days, there'll be false teachers, false prophets, and wolves among sheep. They'll, they'll never teach that because they're exposing themselves. So, you know, it's truly sad. It's 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 actually demonic to see the increasing of uh, anti-Semitism. It's but sadly, um, correct me if I'm wrong, group, but it's prophetically it's going to get worse. Unfortunately, you're 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 right. It is going to get worse. So I just encourage, just before I hand over to you for your last uh, comments, Brooke, I just encourage brothers and sisters, let's, let's focus on biblical truth. Uh, let's not listen to what, uh, you know, certain people are teaching. Even if, if in your local churches, they're teaching replacement theology or that, uh, you know, the church is the new Israel. Brothers and sisters, run the other way. That, that's not scriptural. It's not biblical. Uh, and then it's an underlying demonic agenda there. So... You know, we need to pray for Jerusalem. We need to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And um, we need to support, you know, our, our Jewish brothers and sisters and, and, and keep praying for that land. Baruch, over to you for your closing comments. Yeah, I, um, oddly, I really do have a closing comment for, for this one. If Christian, you have a Bible handy? Yes, I've got my electronic Bible here. All right. If we could just look, there's a, a parable in Matthew 21, and I'm not going to take very much time at all, just one verse, but there's a parable in Matthew 21 known as the, the wicked uh, vineyard workers. And I just want to look at one verse. We all know the context that, that the vineyard owner produced a vineyard, get everything, leased it out, mm -hmm. and the vineyard workers, they did not abide by their agreement. 
they killed his servants, uh, presumably a reference to the prophets and even his own son. And this is the verse that oftentimes replacement theologians go to. It's Matthew 21, verse 43. And I, I'm translating this literally from the Texas Receptus, where it says, on account of this, and I would encourage everyone to read the entire parable, mm -hmm. but on account of this, I say to you, Yeshua is speaking, mm -hmm. on account of this, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be lifted up, removed, taken away from you and will be given. Now, this word didomi in Greek parallels the Hebrew word letet, and it means to sometimes give, sometimes set, sometimes make. It's a, a very significant word. So it's just not giving, but, but setting, putting in place. Now, I would just encourage people to do a study of this word. He says, and will be given to a nation now, not the nations, but a nation doing or making its fruit. Now, what I would argue is that word for nation is the word ethnis, and it, it is parallel to a word we studied earlier, the word goy, and what it speaks of is what Messiah is going to do. People want to use that to say, oh, he's giving uh, the promises to Israel to the church. That's not what he's saying at all. He's removing ungodly leadership. That's what Messiah is going to do. He's going to remove ungodly leadership. If you keep reading, this is speaking against the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the high priests, the elders who were, were corrupt. And what he's saying here is that I'm going to, to make Israel. I'm going to make it a goy. It's a fulfillment of what God said to Abraham when he says, I'm going to make this nation a great Goy, Goy Gadol, that's what he's promising, that, that he's not rejecting Israel, he's not replacing Israel, but Messiah is promising. I see what's going on, this improper leadership, therefore I'm going to be the one that sets Israel to be this, this entity, this Goy, this great nation that he promised Abraham. So we need to use the scripture properly, not twist it into making it say something that, that so much scripture would, would disagree with. Mm. The best interpreter of the Bible is, is the scripture. So when we look at a lot of scripture, that interpretation that replacement theologians give are, are in conflict with so many scriptures that we saw today. Amen. So brothers and sisters, I've certainly learned a lot today. I hope you've been blessed by today's teaching, uh, a very, very important teaching. And sadly, uh, you know, one that uh, generates a lot of debate and sometimes a lot of anger and, and nastiness between people. But, you know, the scriptures are very clear. The Bible is the only truth that we have. And um, we need to always go back to scripture. So, Baruch, thank you for your time again. Thank you for your teaching. It's certainly blessed me and I know it's blessed others. And uh, we look forward to the next discussion very soon. So shalom and blessings to everyone.